Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Keys to Owning. Today's episode, well, as they all are, but this one in particular is extremely meaningful to me because our guest actually came through the podcast. He reached out to me on Instagram and was gracious enough to share his story with us. When we originally started talking, this individual did not own a property and was really just investigating the possibilities and what they could maybe afford, etc. And this is how our discussion started. So I think this is a really excellent example of how fast things can really develop and turn around. And he owns not one but two units because he bought a So without further ado, let's get into it. You're listening to The Keys to Owning, a real estate show about Canadian property owners, what they wish they knew sooner, their advice, and how they got to where they are today. Today's guest is a young individual from Toronto, Ontario, who originally started with the idea that he was going to buy a condo to live in in the Toronto area and actually is now the proud owner of a duplex that he will be renting out uh, using the Burr strategy. So doing some renovations and then renting out that property in a completely different city. And he's going to walk us through a little bit the mindset shift that happened and why and how he ended up where he uh, ended up buying. I'm really excited to, to share his story. So without taking any more of your time, I will let him share his story. Uh, I've been here for a few years at this location. It's yeah, North York. So about six years I've been in this um, building. So oh, it's nice. And do you own yeah. there as well? No, I don't own here. No, we're renting here. That's understandable. Uh, <laughs> I was yeah, going to be yeah. very, very impressed. I'm yeah. not I'm really impressed. <laughs> you don't sound super old to already own property. Yeah, no, um, I'm actually 23. Yeah. <laughs> yes, get it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I think you know my story, so I can um, go over that. Um, sure. Yeah. More. What got you into real estate then? Do you have family members, or did you just read about it and figure it's a good avenue? No, actually. So one day I was talking to my mom, and she's like, "Hey, you know, why don't you invest in real estate?" So in my mind, up until that point, that's something I've always deferred, thinking I'd. That's something I'll do in my 30s or in my 40s because the price, the prices in Toronto are crazy, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So once she said that, I really jumped in and started looking. In the beginning, it wasn't really serious. It was just to know what you know, what the you know, what the buying procedure looks like, what what you know, where you can invest, how like how the whole process works. Because neither my mom or dad own any property here. They do back home, but not here. So I was like the first person in the family who was who really started looking into this. And I spoke to a lot of different people. I was going to end up buying a condo in the beginning. In Toronto? In Toronto, yeah. That was the plan. But after I got my pre-approval, it's around the same time that the stress test came in effect. So I couldn't okay. buy the condos that I wanted to buy. So... I said, okay, I was working with a realtor at the time and she referred me to someone in London, Ontario, who was a realtor there. And well, the properties there would be in my budget because I can't buy here in Toronto. So I worked with that realtor. While I was working with her, I saw some other properties close to where you are in Cornwall. Just yeah, to all kind right. of, that's yeah, not far. 
Yeah, just to see different markets. And then after working with the realtor in London, Ontario, I found a duplex that I really liked. The pricing was good. I went to go see it. So the property was listed, I think, on the Thursday. I booked the showing for the Sunday and then made the offer either on the Monday or the Tuesday. So like I knew. eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw that property, I said, this is this is what I want. And I made a move on it and yeah i locked it up and then they accepted uh the offer like a few days later so what brought you to london specifically was it really just that referral or had you been doing research into like nearby cities is it is it at like a distance that you're okay to go drive there or what was it about london in specific that was appealing that's a good question i actually looked basically everywhere within a two to a three hour drive of where I live from Toronto. So I went east. That's why I looked at Cornwall. Cornwall is a four hour drive, but I was willing to go that far because the property prices were really low. But I looked at everything from Cornwall to Belleville. Oshawa is already way too expensive. So I looked yeah, at two cities. Yeah. yeah, it's getting up there. <laughs> I looked at um, everything there. I looked north past Barrie. Actually, I even went to go see a property not too far away from Barrie, but the price was really high and it didn't fit. Like at that same time, as I was seeing all these properties, I was, you know, narrowing down my buying criteria. So I didn't want to buy a turnkey property. So I, I spoke to you and you said, hey, one thing that you really suggest would be to buy a property where you can it out and get your money out and then move on. So as I looked at different properties in different markets, I had to, I made like a buying criteria and the Burr model basically made the most sense for me. And um, I thought the property in London fit my buying criteria and it was within my price range. If this property popped up anywhere else for that price, I would have probably bought it. So nothing really specific. Right, cool. to the, yeah, nothing really specific to the city, but really just the price and what I could do with that property. I love what you just said, though, about yeah. having your criteria list and narrowing down and then basing it off of that, because right. it's interesting that you ended up in London as opposed to when you started this journey and you thought you were going to buy a condo in Toronto right? You had to sacrifice in a way because you're still going to be renting, right? Yeah. And it's also nice to own your place. But at the same time, if you're in it long haul for the money, like I think you did a really good, you you made a really good choice. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. That's that's what I, I think it was a good choice as well. And I weighed the differences between buying a condo and buying a house. Because if you buy a condo, there's not that much value add that you could do. There is, but you're restricted. I'm not sure how condo boards and stuff like that work, but I know the level of renovation that you can do on a condo wouldn't be as much as what you can do on a house. You you're own the absolutely land. right. Yeah. Yeah, you're so absolutely that, right. Yeah. Because, for example, in a condo, there are different types of condos. You have right. divided and undivided. But in a divided condo, you actually share the exterior of the building and you share the windows and you share the doors. So if I wanted to change out my windows, I would have to get the approval for us to all change our windows together, you know? So there are a lot of restrictions. There are different benefits of condos in a way, but the reality is unless you are informed about what's coming next in the condo or what has to happen to that building, your condo fees aren't necessarily going towards what you want them to. So I am like the annoying neighbor, honestly. (laughs) Uh, 
I'll be like, when are we redoing the roof? Oh, like, why did you buy a bench? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. bought a bench here and I have questions about it. I didn't want a bench. <laughs> so yeah, just things like that. You're absolutely right. I, I noticed like there's a lot of different people have different investing strategies. And sometimes it really depends on your strategy. So for example, a few people that I know, all they do is they only focus on condos and they do Airbnb and that makes them a lot of money. So yeah. Yeah. And then they just, and then they, they have other, like they have other investment properties that they buy as well, but like they Mm. kind of started with the condos too. It makes a lot of sense. Like even my other condo during certain weekends, I would actually leave and Airbnb it. Oh, nice. Because an F1 weekend in Montreal, for example, I made like $1,200 one weekend, you know? So it makes sense in certain situations to leave and do that. But you also in a condo, again, you're restricted by your condo agreement. They can actually ban you from doing Airbnb. So these are the types of things that if you don't know and you go in with that, then it's like game over. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Nice. So now that you have this duplex... Um, I know that you said it's a burr, right? So you went from going to own something potentially that you might live in to taking on a burr project (laughs) in another city. Like, were you nervous? Did you, how did you prepare for that? Did you prepare Uh, for that? So I think that that's kind of like, there wasn't that much work that I, that needs to be done on it. It was really listed below what it should have been. Oh, that's super lucky. Did you have any competition? Like, what was the actual process for you? Like, going to visit, going into the signing? Was your agent actually in London? Or was it someone you were working with from Toronto that knew people in London? How did that work? Yeah, so my agent was actually from London because the condo agent I was working with in Toronto connected me to the agent in London. She was based there. Yeah, she was based there. And all the signing and stuff like that was done through DocuSign. And the offer process went pretty smooth. We sent in the offer. Then within the next day or two, it was accepted. To my knowledge, we were the first offer and they accepted it right. So I didn't have any multiple offer situation or anything like that. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was the first offer I made and uh, it got accepted right away. So uh, that went pretty well. That's so cool. And in terms of closing, have you actually closed on it yet? Do you have possession yet? Uh, No, I'm closing October 1st. Wow, this is so exciting. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm really looking forward to working on it. So once you actually signed for the property, I know that you had sort of some debates over the math and you and I had talked a little bit about the mortgages and the, the types of things that you could do. Do you mind explaining what that process was like and the challenges that you ran into for a second and then realized you could overcome? For sure. So one of the ways that I learned a lot was really through watching YouTube videos and a lot of Burr videos. Everybody says, hey, you buy the property under market and then you refinance and get an 80% loan to value, which basically yeah. means they'll give you 80% of the new appraised value of the property as a loan. And then you still have to maintain a 20% equity in the property. So that sounded good, but I didn't really understand it fully until I spoke with a mortgage agent. That's something that he really helped clear up. But what my issue was, was I thought the the new appraisal, like my ARV would be higher 
than what I would have been allowed to finance for. So for example, if my maximum purchase price was $450,000 and the ARV of the property came in at like five fifty, dollars how would that work? And then after speaking with my mortgage um, agent, he told me, hey, like once you consider the rents and once you'll be getting more money, we ran through the numbers and it all made sense that even with the new estimated appraised value, I should still be able to get a loan. I should still be able to refinance and get my money out. And the other thing that he mentioned to me was you can always bring in other people if they want to sign off on the loan. So even if it did go past, you know, my allowed amount, I can still bring in other people. And if they have good credit and good whatever, our incomes would be combined. So then we can basically split the mortgage. And uh, yeah, that's one way we could have done it if if, it, if the first way didn't work out. Basically, what you're describing is like an after signing venture partner. Ba- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in those situations, if you have a relationship with someone where they would just sign and not reap the benefits, you know what I mean? Like a family yeah. member or something yeah. like this, if it's available to you, that's the ideal, especially if you're young. Yeah. But if not, there are so many people out there that would very happily take on debt if they got a return, you know? So if they were, for example, getting part of uh, the rental income or something like this, those types of things are always going to be an option. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. When you mentioned that it's really convenient for that person, if if they have a level of trust with you, right? If it's a family member, because it's really like at that point, it's truly passive income for them because they don't even put up any money. You know what I mean? It's literally, there's no money, nothing. They just sign off on a piece of paper and collect, you know, X amount of percent. What it would prevent them from doing potentially in the future is if, for example, they wanted to purchase a property or they wanted to qualify for a car loan or whatever they want to do, some sort of credit in the future, it might, well, it absolutely will lower their borrowing power. Um, This actually happened in my family. Oh, And it was really interesting. I'm I'm not going to name names on any of this because I haven't spoken to them about it if they want to divulge. But effectively what happened was there was an individual in my family uh, who wanted to purchase a property. And another individual already owned a couple of properties and said, yeah, I'll co-sign on that property. But now the individual who had co-signed wants to refinance one of their properties to, I'm not sure what they want to do with with the money, but they want the money out of one of their properties. And the bank said no, because they said you have too many mortgages already and you're co-signed on this other one. So what they actually ended up having to do was refinance the one that they were co-signed on because now the person who needed the co-signing is in a much better financial position so they could qualify on their own. Right. Um, right. But it was like this domino effect. And luckily they weren't trying to buy an asset or something. If they were trying to buy a house or something, they could have lost the property, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Just because the market right now is so competitive. So that's one thing to keep in mind if you ever in the future are co-signing for someone. Yeah. But, but outside of that, yeah, if especially if they were getting some of the income that would be very passive income (laughs) yeah for sure for sure (laughs) Uh, that's great but in terms of budget and finance do you feel comfortable sharing how you got to a down payment stage at such a young age no problem so i can tell you about how the financing works my final total out of pocket the 20 percent for the property would be around seventy thousand, and about 50 Five or so of that came from 
my savings. And then I took a loan from my mom for about 20K. But I have 5K budgeted just in case I have to pay off something or anything comes up just as a buffer. But yeah, that's how idea. much Yeah, that's how much I borrowed from her. I plan to pay her back as soon as the burr is done. And just through aggressive saving and like during the lockdown i opened two different businesses and i learned a new skill so that's all the money that i got from that was going straight into savings and getting ready i was just saving that money i didn't really have any plan of what i was going to do with that money and that's really where it came from the businesses i started was i learned how to make websites so i started promoting promoting that to a few businesses that i knew that needed websites first it was from scratch so i was like writing literally opening up a notepad and writing text and then like once i knew the fundamentals of how to you know make websites i started using other editors i used wordpress so that's what i did and on top of that the other thing that I started doing was copying fobs for different people. You live in a condo, so you know the fob that you use to enter the condo, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I learned how to copy that. And okay, there was a really big market for that. This is a little bit even before the pandemic started. So that's really what I was doing. And if you're wondering, it is completely legal. <laughs> There's a the few businesses that do do that. Um, I was here. wondering, but I yeah. wasn't going to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, there, there's actually a few established businesses that do do that. It's really the individual buildings that say whether you can or cannot use copied fobs. But that's what I did. Wow, I, I wish yeah. I knew you last year. Yeah. <laughs> the management company that took care of the building that we lived in last year Yeah. Uh, left you wanting more. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. one of the things we wanted more of was our key fob to get yeah, in yeah, exactly. so we had one between the two of us imagine yeah i know exactly what you mean like a lot of the people i do copy fobs for come in and tell me the same thing it's either oh they only allows a maximum number of fobs or my building charges me you know five times or six times what my price was i just saw a, a, a demand and then i just went in and made that business. So all in all, it went it went pretty well. What do you do for a living? Because you have a very different mindset than most people your age. I'm an account manager for a PCB manufacturing company. Let's say you want to assemble the components on a motherboard for something that goes in an iPhone, for example, or mm -hmm. really any electronic device. So you'd come in, you would have your design ready. You come in, you meet with our company. You, we would tell you how much it would cost to assemble the boards, to fabricate the boards, and then ship them over to you or another partner who's going to install you know, the screen and stuff. We just assemble the motherboard for different projects, the, the raw PCB. And uh, I'm like the person that you would work with if you have a project like that so an account manager i've been here for about a little over three years and it's been good do you feel in your your aggressive savings plan that you had to make any sacrifices to get to where you are now oh yeah 100 100 i don't like i don't i didn't spend any money on things that were luxurious you know what I mean? To be honest, the, this aggressive saving and business mindset really came in in the last two, two, three years. So before that, I was a spender. I didn't really save that much money. I did save, but not as aggressive as I've been lately. But yeah, I missed out on a lot of... I wouldn't say missed out, but 
I prioritized saving the money I had because I knew someday I would put it towards something rather than spend it on a lot of things that I could have spent it on, like traveling or whatever. I just had my priorities straight. I didn't know at the time what I wanted to do, but I knew to get to where I wanted to be, I had to have some savings and investing. I knew I had to aggressively save to do whatever it would be that I wanted to do. I think that's something that a lot of people who see other individuals their age buying real estate sort of forget. They're out buying new shoes and buying whatever it might be. And they're like, how did these people afford a house? It's like, well, they they have holes in their shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really, like that's the truth. Um, yeah. That's the truth. I, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago and he's like, hey, how did you manage to save all this money? And I'm like, well, like I didn't go out with you guys the last few times you guys went out. That's why you didn't see me at, you know, whatever bars you guys went to. I didn't go with you when you went to this cottage or whatever. Like I didn't do that because I was focused on saving. And then he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like I, He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing you weren't there. Yeah, it wasn't by accident that I wasn't at all those different functions you guys went to. Like I had a plan and I stuck to it. If you had to give a piece of advice to um, anyone of any age, really, who's trying to do the same thing, what would it be? Because that's hard, That's especially when there's friends involved, you know? Yeah, well, I would say, what do you want your story to be, right? Like, what do you want for yourself? For me, I, I just said, okay, if I continue in a spending habit where I don't save and I do whatever, I'm having fun all day and I don't really care about my finances, where is that going to take me? Okay, it's going to take me down this path, whatever, where 10, 15 years from now, I won't have the things that I want. Then I said, okay, so where do I want to be? And then I looked at a few other people who are where I, where I want to be. And I looked at their financial choices and they are very aggressive savers and investors. So that's, to me, was a no-brainer. It's either if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to end up here. Or if I want to change my life and I want to someday become wealthy, then I have to do what this person did, which is save and invest. So if anybody, whatever age or you know nationality or whatever demographic that you belong to, you can always make it. Tap into the future you and really work towards giving yourself the life that you want and you have to make sacrifices along the way but it'll be worth it i love that yeah that's well said that was very wise Uh, thank you (laughs) i always found that that was a bit of a challenge and one thing that always worked for me was to put all my spending into categories and then same thing like ask myself okay like where do you want to be and ideally I would just cut the the frivolous spending entirely, right? But I know myself and there are certain things I will not give up. (laughs) I eat out way too often, I would say, given my financial goals. But I looked at my categories and I was like, you know what? I probably don't need new clothes. I haven't changed size since I was, I don't know, 14. (laughs) (laughs) I probably don't need more clothes anymore. And so my... My budget got cut, but that's where it got cut from. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Well, I mean, I'm actually super curious to see what types of things go into your burr. Did you have a budget going into it or did you look at it and say, okay, this is how much I'm going to need to accomplish those things? And do you know the timeline in which you're going to do it? Because I guess that's two questions. Just because you had mentioned one of the tenants will be leaving. So you can do that unit. But what about the other one? 
Yeah, so uh, good question. When I first went to see the property, I had a, a method that I used. I saw this on a Matt McKeever channel where he would basically put 5,000. Awesome. Yeah, he's He's, he's great. He basically assigned 5000 to any part of the house that needs renovation. So my budget was around twenty to 25000 after seeing the property the first time. After we did the home inspection, I talked to the home inspector. He's a really helpful person. And a lot of the things that I thought I had to do, I didn't have to do as much as I thought. Could you give an example? Yeah. So I think one of the things that we had to do, what I thought I had to do was the basement... Okay, perfect. So this is a really good example. So the basement was getting wet. So I spoke to a few other people and they said, hey, worst case, there might be issues with the foundation and you might have to do a lot of foundation work to fix it. But because the property price is so is lower than the market, then you might have a big advantage here. Big advantage is in like you already have a low price for the unit. So even if you did factor in the cost to, to make that renovation, then it still wouldn't be a bad investment. So I thought that's what I had to do. I had that in the back of my head. It wasn't the main issue, but I knew the basement needed work. I didn't know what it was, but I kept that as the worst case scenario. And then I knew even if that was, if even if I didn't have to do that renovation, I would have had to do something else. I budgeted for ten thousand, and then I spoke to the home inspector, and he's like, "Hey, you don't really have to do that. You can just call, you know, somebody to break up this side of the window because water was getting in through the windows. It wasn't coming from anywhere else." And that should cost you about two, three thousand dollars. Oh, that was, that's that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> yeah, big. That was a big relief. That re-emphasizes, I think, just the point for anyone who listened to previous episodes or for anyone who's even just listening now, how important it is to really get an inspection, especially in the market today. Some people are choosing to waive them. And it's just something I would like very highly caution against unless you are yourself a construction person or, you know, an inspector or someone who's just really familiar with that world and what those things could indicate and what could be involved in switching them out or changing them or fixing them. Oh, yeah. I mean, like if you're an advanced investor and you've seen, you know, a lot of houses, then you probably would be able to determine if there's anything wrong um, with the house. But if you're a bit of a newer investor or, you know, a, a home buyer, then, yeah, for sure, I would recommend a home inspection. Because if there wasn't if I bought that property without a home inspection and it turned out to have foundation issues, then that's a you know, what I mean, I wouldn't have bought the property if it had foundation issues. That would have been a big, big cost that would have had to come out of my pocket. A lot of people say that it's less risky to do that with condos, to go into the purchase without an inspection. Yeah. And in in a way it is, because if your condo is run properly, then they should have these inspections done anyway. They should have this knowledge anyway. They should have the budgeting in place already because they're almost like small business. Well, they are small businesses. They're actually incorporated. Um, yeah. But... The thing is, they're small businesses run by often not business people. So there is still a huge risk there that if the foundation needed to be completely redone and the people running the condo association didn't know that or didn't know what to look out for, or they didn't have the inspection done, et cetera, then there's still such a huge risk there. Like it's just something I would never recommend really to anyone if they have the opportunity to do an inspection, unless, like you said, they're very, very experienced and know what they're looking at. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For a condo inspection, I think a lot of people might only think maybe it's just the unit that they might have to inspect. But again, like the whole building 
matters, right? Because if there's yeah. a big major issues with the building, then your maintenance fee is going to probably increase, right? So I think it's really important to have a home inspection done for a condo as well. We talked about a burr, and a lot of people know what that is if they're a little bit more experienced in real estate. But this podcast in specific is geared towards like first time home buyers or first time of a certain transaction. So, do you mind explaining a little bit what the burr method is? Yeah. So, the burr method stands for buy, um, renovate, refinance, repeat. And it's basically buying a distressed property, putting it, you know, some sort of renovation. Uh, work into it and then refinancing that property and the aim is to get all or most of your down payment back out because the renovations that you would have done to the property would increase the value of the property and then the repeat is just you know continue doing it i'm like trying to remember myself if i've spoken before about like the four major ways that people make money in real estate on the podcast but We'll just review them quickly now. Why not? There's there's natural appreciation, which is where you would buy a property. And just because of maybe, you know, inflation and things going on, maybe developments in that area, the property appreciates in value on its own. So you're not doing anything active to make it appreciate in value other than owning it. Then there's like active or forced appreciation, which is sort of what the Burr method is, where you're putting work into the property or into the asset, whatever it is, and making it better. So you're making it worth more by doing renovations, like you said, or maybe if it was land and you decontaminated contaminated soil or something like this. So anything like that would be forced appreciation. And then afterwards, you have cash flow from rental income. That's one way that you can also make money by having positive cash flow. And what's the last one? Oh, principal down payment. So basically, when you take your mortgage, let's say I have a $100,000 mortgage, and I'm paying it off $1,000 uh, per month, then there's a portion of that that's going towards the interest and a portion of that that's going towards the down payment of my initial loan. So that's going effectively back into your pocket when you're renting out, right? So those are the four major ways that people make money in real estate. And the Burr method is targeting two different ones. It's like the forced appreciation as well as the principal repayment. And if you're lucky and doing it properly, then chances are you might get a positive cash flow in there too. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I would love to get into a burr at a certain point. Yeah. I, I made a, a bunch of mistakes going into real estate. I'll continue to do so. But <laughs> the first yeah. one that I'll I made... Learning, yeah. yeah, the first one I made was I bought completely emotionally. Like... I walked into this place, did not even see the bedroom when I was younger. I guess I would have been, I was 25 maybe at the time. I walked in, I saw the windows and I thought these windows are awesome. I love them. They're old French door style wood windows. And the place was just really charming and beautiful. It was turnkey. It needed pretty much no work. And Where was this? What city was this in? This is in Montreal. Okay. And... Luckily for myself, it was not in an area that was exorbitantly expensive, but it was in an area completely by chance. I did not plan for this, that just the appreciation there is still just going. It's stupid. I bought this place and then a year later, they put up million dollar townhouses right behind it. Then within a one block radius on yeah. every side that is not the park, right. they started doing these massive projects. 
And all of them are just raising the value there. And it start, nice. they start bringing in little boutique shops and the main street. So I just got really, really, really lucky is what happened. <laughs> nice. And I've, I've heard um, a lot of people say real estate's a very forgiving asset. So if you do, you know, mess up, then the chances are probably appreciation would like in time help you. Yeah. So, uh, good idea. Yeah, this is something I picked up and looked into other people are doing it. And they make pretty good money doing that. Lending's pretty lucrative. Yeah, this is something that I should take away from you, actually. It sounds like you've got your mind wrapped around it already. I have analysis paralysis. When I was growing up, finances in our family, we were always okay, but they were always a point of tension. And I think I carried that anxiety with me into my own adulthood, spending money and investing it. But I want to make sure that I match my real estate assets in market assets, and then I will probably dive back in. Nice. Yeah, I mean, my family, we, we really saved a lot. My whole upbringing, everybody always saved for a rainy day. So I, I know what you mean of how the way that you grow up affects how you make business decisions and financial decisions. The biggest thing that I've learned from myself was just to set goals for me of what I wanted to do. Because like nobody in my family ever really invests their money. It was always saved. Like I'm just now talking to my parents about getting them into investing in uh, stocks and buying, you know, index funds because they they want something completely passive. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, I completely understand what you mean about how the way that you were brought up will affect how you make um, decisions. And the biggest thing for me was really setting goals and understanding, okay, if I want to get to where I want to be, then whatever risk that I have to take now, I have to take it. And I just forced myself to make those kinds of hard decisions. And then over time, the confidence built up. And then now I can't make riskier decisions. You know what I mean? Riskier yeah. investments. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool that you're doing that now. Like you have so much well, we both do really have so much time ahead of us. I was just talking to my broker last week and I I was expressing that my plan individually was to go and purchase another property in a couple of years. I had a plan in mind already. The cadence of every two to three years, I could get another one on my own and I knew how to finance that on my own. And then this whirlwind came into my plan, which is my boyfriend, but I love him very much. I'm happy we're together. (laughs) (laughs) Like I had never really realized how independently I had planned finances. And now there's another individual there and we have common goals. I was talking about how I felt that my my plans being taken off course, we're still going to buy real estate, but it's going to be probably our family homes. And he's owned like several properties. My broker still owns properties. He does flip and he's completely paid down his mortgage, etc. And yeah, he was like, Carol, I didn't even buy my first property until I was in my 30s. <laughs> I was like, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end, of, as you know, I usually ask three questions. One, you've already started a bit, but... For someone who is going into a property purchase their first time, they've never done it before, what would you recommend? Is this for, I can give the example for a bird property. So I'll say you have all your comps ready and make sure that the the realtor you work with is an investment oriented realtor and have all your comps ready, have recent comps and make sure that the comps really are, you know, good comparables to the property that you're buying. So similar lot size, similar number of rooms. Etc. So make sure the comps are, you know, you're comparing apples to apples. Yeah, have like that ready. area. Yeah, exactly. So you can already budget and, you know, run your numbers 
in the beginning to make sure that you're ready to, you know, proceed with the property if um, you get an accepted offer. So have all that ready and make sure, you know, run your numbers, make sure everything makes sense and then dive right in and be confident in yourself and you'll, you'll be okay. This is actually um, a follow-up question. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sure. uh, just out of curiosity, we didn't talk about it, but when you were doing your calculations and things, did you use any pre-existing calculators? Like, you know, Bigger Pockets has an online calculator. You can use it five times for free. And then after that, you have to pay a membership. But did you use any of those or did you really just do it off of YouTube and start crunching the numbers yourself? Yeah, so I just, I was watching a lot of Matt McKeever's deal destruction videos. And I saw how he budgets for his properties. I just opened up an Excel and I did it myself. So yeah, I, I did it myself. And I just, I, I took everything that I learned. So I would budget 5% for vacancy, 5% for any maintenance, CapEx, you know, capital expenditures, any major repairs. And then the other 10%, 8% would be property management and 2% would be snow and grass. So basically 20% of my gross rents wouldn't be accounted for in my cash flow. Nice. Yeah, I'm really happy you mentioned that. Cash flow is such an interesting thing to talk to people about because everyone has their own version of doing it. Yeah, I mean, like that's um, one of the biggest things that I caught because I watched a lot of his videos. So I met with the realtor. This is not any of the ones that, um, not, this is not the Toronto one or the London, Ontario one. This is another realtor I found online and we spoke and they were trying to sell me on a property that they were, they listed. And so they were trying to sell it to me. And they, like when they ran the numbers, there was no, they only accounted for property management. They didn't account for it. vacancy. They didn't account for, you know, maintenance, none of that. They, I'm like, hold on, that cash flow number you're giving me is not correct because I know I have to account for all these different things. So be educated and, you know, be informed because a lot of people, especially if you're new, try to sell you on that. Oh, look, $500, you don't have to do anything. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's a house and the house has wear and tear. You have to change the roof, windows, et cetera. So if you're well educated, other people won't be able to lie to you and stuff like that. Not every agent out there has your best interests at heart, even though they're supposed to. So yeah, just something to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, As a second question, I really like the idea of supporting local businesses, especially during this time. So where you're living right now, what is one business that you just think makes your neighborhood what it is you can't live without? That I can't live without. I'll say an Ethiopian restaurant. I eat out there sometimes. Any Ethiopian restaurant or is it that's the name of the restaurant? No, the name of the restaurant is Fasika Restaurant. So yeah, I'll pick that one. And last but not least, what do you think is going to be your next property investment? My next property investment, it'll probably be a few more multifamily units. So probably duplexes and triplexes before I scale up to do multifamily, which is commercial multifamily, which is anything over five or six units. Most likely want to focus on duplexes, triplexes and fourplexes just and get more experience doing renovations and picking tenants and stuff like that because I haven't done any of that yet. And once I feel more comfortable doing that and I have the experience and I have the team that I need to move forward, then I'll, I definitely want to scale up into multifamily commercial. So anything over yeah, five or six units. Very cool. I know you had said it's mainly lipstick fixes. Yeah. 
but have you ever done any of those types of things before? Or what are some examples that you know you're going to have to fix there? And are you going to employ someone to do that? Or are you planning to drive to London and do it yourself? Good question. So I've seen other people change, you know, their bathroom tiles and stuff like that, family, friends. So that's I've seen them do it. I haven't done it myself, but it doesn't seem difficult enough for me that I have to ask somebody else to do it. But if I if I, I'm going to try to do it first, and if I can't, then I'll outsource it, because you know every single day that I waste is basically I'm I'm losing money that month, right? So mm-hmm. I would definitely try to do it myself just for the experience, because I never had the chance to do those kinds of things. That, those kinds of renovations because I never owned a home before. Like I've always been living in condos and stuff like that. So yeah, I would try to do, I want to try to do those renovations. If it doesn't work, I already gave myself a few, you know, a few, a week, about a week to a little more than a week to do certain kinds of renovations. And if that works out great, if not, I'll pay other, other people to do it. I already have a contractor and stuff like that, that I spoke to ready. So I'm ready for that. Some of the things that I have to do is the flooring, the paint, I have to change a few doors. I need to hire an electrician and a plumber because I want to install a dishwasher. I don't think I'm going to be adding any light fixtures, but maybe I might have to do that. And other than that, I think that's that's pretty much all, all the renovation. Oh, and there, I have to call a mason to fix some of the bricks on the exterior of the house because it's a brick house. Some of the bricks are missing. So that's it. Okay, nice. Yeah, I actually have to run through. I did a high level, like just like pencil paper type of thing, but I have to do an actual analysis on whether or not I'm going to take on my bathroom project. I'm going to redo my bathroom here, but whether or not I'm going to try and do it myself, like you were saying, or have someone come in and do it. And for me, what I realized in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to save so much money by doing this myself because I do have some of the skill set required. And I have friends and things like this that have the knowledge or have done it before. So I have the resources there. But one thing I could recommend to you, if you have it available, my sister actually went over what is worth paying someone to do and what is not worth paying someone to do. Right. And it was surprising for me. There were certain things she was like, the reason you want someone to do this is because they have insurance. And if it fucks up, then it's on them. It's not on you. And yes, it's going to cost you more than if you did it yourself. And the, the other thing that it sounds That's like you're someone point. who has, has made sources of income for themselves and your time is actually worth quite a bit of money, right? And what I forgot in my initial factoring and then just added in last week was the cost of my, my hourly rate. And I was like, oh shit, like it's actually really not cost effective for me to do my bathroom myself. Because I would take a week off work, right? And when I think of it that way, that's not going to be a vacation for me, although it would be pretty fun. In some ways, it'll always be tiring and frustrating and physical labor. And my hourly rate for working, if I had to take an actual unpaid week of vacation, for example, when I factored that in, I was like, okay, so now I have to decide, am I going to take this on as a hobby project? Because that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be a cost-effective way of me saving on a bathroom reno. And that was really eye-opening for me. And it sucked because I was ready to <laughs> be like, I'm doing this because it makes sense. And then I had to re-look at it and say, okay, if I do it, I'm doing it because I want to. It's not going to be because it makes sense financially. It's going to be because I'm choosing to do it. So I, I now have to debate with myself, do I really want to spend a week doing that? Like a very minimal 
if any financial gain. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. no, no. That's a really good point. I mean, for me, it's just the fact that I never had the chance to do it. So even if I fuck everything up, then I, it, I, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like I'm prepared yeah. to, to pay to get that fixed. It's just I want the experience to do that on a house that I own. That's really the only motivating factor for me. And if it, you know, that one week or whatever amount of time that I would put towards it, I feel justifies, you know, what I would get out of it. Yeah, we have very similar feelings. And and yeah. again, it's one of those things that my real estate plan has changed a bit now that I right. live with someone because I would have totally just done it and lived with the mess, I guess, for that time. Yeah. yeah. But because I live with someone, I'm not going to take a shower away from them for... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes sense. All right, man. Well, this was this was awesome. I'm gonna let you go just because you've given me so much of your time already, and I actually have to go write a midterm right now. So uh, good luck, um, good luck. What, what, what's, what course is it for? It is for real estate law. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. nice, nice, nice. So it was such a pleasure to speak to you. I very much hope we stay connected forever. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. Cool. If you are at all inspired by this or you feel that others could be inspired by this, please make sure to share this podcast with just anyone who would really benefit. Our goal here is definitely not to become like the next podcast. I really do this like in my free time from my closet office. So it's really not about that. But if you do know anyone who can benefit, please go ahead and share. That's really the whole point. If you or anyone you know has questions please feel free to reach out to me um it really is my passion to talk about this stuff 